I'd like to, Lord, be my helper, give you a message today of exhortation, of encouragement, um, which we all need in these dreadful times in which we live. Uh, but always remember this, brothers and sisters, all times since the fall in Adam have been dreadful times. They're all dreadful times. But our God is always the exultant, wonderful, marvelous God that he's always been. And so we take great comfort in that. I'd like to speak to you today about a subject I've tried to speak on a couple of times in the last year that's uh, important. I, I preach it not only for you, but I preach it to reinforce it and reaffirm it in my own mind too. And going to the Word of God and seeing those things that we should do each and every day. Things that we should do each and every day. Things that we should remember. Now to do this, I've, I've kind of put together... Uh, a mnemonic, if you know what a mnemonic is, it's you know a, a, a learning device, and uh, we uh, I want to uh, look at the acronym each day, okay, and try to unfold this for you in such a way in which hopefully you'll be able to understand it and to be able to incorporate it into your daily lives. Because brothers and sisters, theology is wonderful, but theology rings hollow if we cannot transfer it and apply it to our daily lives. We should be able to live the life for the life that we have. And we want to live in it. And putting these things into practice is what allows us to do that. So we're going to look at each day. As you know, it's an acronym uh, like TULIP or uh, Roy G. Bibb. You probably learned that at school about the rainbow, red, orange, yellow, uh, green, uh, blue, indigo, violet. TULIP being total depravity, unconditional election, limited atonement, irresistible calling, and preservation and grace. But let's look at each day, E-A-C-H-D-A-Y. First thing I'd like to look at that the Bible teaches us that we should do each day is we need to embrace who we are. Somebody may say, well, you know, that just seems like a very simple thing. But it's not always as simple as we'd like for it to be. Uh, embrace who you are, E, embrace. Go to Luke chapter nine, verse 23. And he said unto them, if any man will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. You know, when Jesus spoke these words, the only thing they understood really about the cross was that the cross was an instrument of shame. The cross was an instrument of cursedness. The cross was an instrument of agony and of torture. But here Jesus Christ, their Savior, who is the Messiah, the anointed one, the prophesied one, has come forward and is now telling you to deny yourselves and take up your cross daily. And they probably thought the same thing that we have thought in times past that does not sound attractive. That doesn't sound like something I want to do is take up a cross, an instrument of death, a symbol of shame, and do it not just once, but do it every day. But brothers and sisters, we need to embrace who we are as children of God. Embrace your identity and get up every day knowing that I need to take up my cross today just like I needed to take it up yesterday, just like I'll need to take it up tomorrow. Take up your cross daily, okay? Embrace who you are. Now, we get to be very critical, and we were talking this morning throughout the weekend, and we should be critical to an extent of people who are trying to convince you that gender doesn't matter, okay? Men trying to say they're women, women trying to say they're men, trying to say that there's no distinctions. Well, if there were no distinctions, there would be none of us here, okay? So we'll just, we hold these truths to be self-evident, and I want to love these people. I don't want to be hateful toward them. I want to love them because something has driven them in their life. Something has warped them and something has hurt them to the extent that they're seeking some kind of escape. They're trying to escape 
who they actually are. They're trying to deny who they actually are. And many times we as professed believers in Jesus Christ will be very critical of them. But I will tell you, we need to stop and look at ourselves before we look at them. Because so often time, think about how much better America would be. Just America. If people who actually said that they believed in Jesus Christ lived a life of Christianity. If they lived sacrificially. If they were all in, sold out for the name of Jesus Christ, totally committed. Oh, I'm a Christian. I'm a Christian. It's so very easy to say, but it rings completely hollow when we live a life of carnality and worldliness. And we need to repent over that and embrace who we are. And we don't have any right to criticize someone who's trying to escape their own gender if we're so foolish and weak as we're trying to escape who we are bought by the blood of Jesus Christ. We need to repent over that and be the salt, the light. We need to be that pleasant leaven that we're supposed to be in this world. Now somebody may say, but the world is so corrupt and I'm so limited in what I can do. One thing, don't you ever doubt how God can take small things and make big things out of them. God can take a few loaves and fishes. He can feed the multitude, brothers and sisters. God could use the staff in a man's hand, just a regular man that held out over the waters and could part the Red Sea and allow his children to escape on dry shod. Don't you ever doubt the power of God. But brothers and sisters, how do you slay a thousand Philistines with the jawbone of an ass? You do it one at a time. You swing one at a time, baby. You knock one in the head, you pile it up. You knock another one in the head, you pile it up. God's children nowadays, they get lost and, and they, they, they get overwhelmed and they say, well, you know, my life really doesn't mean very much. People are always looking at your life. No one is an island unto themselves. We all cast a ripple. We all have an effect. So therefore, we need to embrace who we are. I, and let me tell you something. Church is a big part of it. You need to be just as churchy as Noah was archy. Do you understand what I say when I say that? How archy was Noah? I'll tell you, it was his whole life to be on that ark and not in the flood. And you need to be just as churchy as Noah was archy. Embrace who you are. Kindred of Christ, believers in the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, you need to understand that you are part of a mystical, supernatural uh, people that have existed on the face of this planet for over 6,000 years called the elect of God who have an invisible, immortal, powerful God who is their head and is their Lord and is, loves them enough to send His only begotten Son into this world. Embrace who you are because there's no organization there is no my friend structure that man could establish in this life that can mean as much as your life in Jesus Christ in helping others and embracing daily who you are take up your cross don't be ashamed I remember there was a time when I was ashamed I was ashamed of who I was well I'm not God has helped me to be saved from that okay to be saved from trying to escape my identity. I'm a blood-bought child of Jesus Christ. And if that makes you feel awkward, then you just sit right on over there and be awkward because I'm still who I am. And we need to be who we are. Take up your cross daily in Christ Jesus. I love what the, I love what the Apostle Paul said when he was on that ship and the ship was tossed with great tempest and he assured everybody, here being himself, a picture of representative atonement. Him being a picture of a representative of one who saved many by strictly the grace of the Lord. Here he was on this ship and everyone, this, this storm was so grievous that they hadn't seen the, the sun 
Everything looked lost. And in uh, Acts chapter 27, verse 23, he said, he assured them, he said, for there stood by me this night the angel of God. Now who is this God? Whose I am and whom I serve. And that should be our call each and every day when we rise up. Lord, help me have the strength and the discipline. You know, God gave Ezekiel a head as an adamant of flint. Now somebody may say, what in the world does that mean? It just means he gave him a hard head. He gave him a hard enough head. God was going to hold him up and give him the fortitude in the Spirit of God to be able to withstand all of the stink eye the world would give him. And this world will give you the stink eye. This world will hate you for the cause of Christ. But he given us hard heads. Now, he did not give him a hard heart, right? We ought not have a hard heart, but it's good to have a hard head and know who we are and embrace it. The next thing I'd like to look, we've looked at E. Embrace who you are. Now let's look at this A in this uh, acronym. Appreciate and amen. Every day you need to appreciate and amen uh, what the Lord has done for you. Go to Matthew chapter 6 verse 9. Matthew chapter 6 verse 9. And after this manner therefore pray ye. Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Just like what Brother Dolph said about Brother Richard's prayer, this is exactly the model prayer Jesus gave us, and he started off doing what? Bragging on his Father. Bragging on him. Exalting his name. And years ago, I heard preaching to that effect, and it's changed fundamentally the way that I pray. Normally, I would just go right in, Lord, bless so-and-so. Lord, bless so-and-so. Lord, help me with this. Lord, help me with that. And I realized that my prayers are just completely self-centered. But they first off, I need to be bragging on the Lord. Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. And just spend some time every day honoring the Lord. Speaking, just even if it's so much as saying, Lord, you are so great, I cannot even begin to comprehend you. But the glory that I see, I rejoice in. Brag on the Lord each and every day. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. So there we can infer from this that you're to pray every day. Because I don't know about y'all, but this fat boy likes to eat every single day. And if I'm to have that daily bread every single day, my Lord and Savior tells me I should pray for it every single day. Which means what? I should pray at least once every day. And we also are told that food is to be received, sanctified by thanksgiving, the word of God, and prayer. Which means we should bow our heads in a restaurant or at home, even if it's just for a moment. And say, Lord God, my Father, thank you for this food, this bounty that comes from thee. I love you and I praise you. I'll tell you, just a simple act of bowing your head and taking a moment to thank your God not only is going to enrich your life, it's going to honor and glorify the Lord, but it'll also touch people around you who view that, who may need a little encouragement to embrace the people that they are. The E we just covered. Appreciate and amen. Give us this day our daily bread. Our problem is, again, Lord, give me this day my rest of my life's 401k. Lord, give me this day that winning lottery ticket. Kendra, we were talking this morning. Somebody very dear to us, we know them, a couple of years ago, won $200,000 in the lottery. Everybody says, wow. That's what we said, wow. And where's that money now? It's gone. Totally frittered away with very little to nothing to show for it, except on this end of it, there's a lot of angst and a lot of trouble. If you want to see little pictures of troubled people, you go and find little uh, 
descriptions of people's lives after they win big lotteries, okay? Now, if you're going to play the lottery, that's when you and the Lord, that's your business, okay? That is your business. I'm not here to tear down all your play. I, I'm sure there's a way you can do it. You can do it in discipline. You can, if you're doing it for fun, that's fine. But if the only reason you're winning the lottery is because you are just tired of working, I want to win the lottery because I'm tired of just praying and eking out an existence this day, my daily bread, then my friends, there's ample scripture to tell you that you need to repent and you need to humble yourself before the Lord, okay? I don't, I don't play the lottery. Again, I'm not going to throw rocks at people who do, but I want you to understand something. The answer to your happiness will never be found in a full bank account, no matter what Joel Osteen and Creflo Dollar say, Okay. Oh, did I call names out loud? You better believe I did. Y'all don't have to invite me back. Charlatans in this world will tell you that you only know you're in the favor of the Lord by a fat bank account or a Mercedes Benz. And I'm here to tell you, brothers and sisters, our Lord and Savior said, the foxes have holes and the birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man hath not where to lay his head. And I'll tell you, if it was good enough for Jesus, it's good enough for me. I'll tell you, we live like kings. Y'all realize that? Each and every day, the blessings we have, we live like kings. Somebody may say, I struggle a little bit, Brother Joe. There's a lot of people struggling in this life, but imagine, you know, everything's kind of relative in this world. Imagine the struggles you have now compared to how they're struggling over in Africa, parts of Africa right now. You know, I like to watch, um, I like to watch cop shows. I like true crime. Now, I don't like the unsolved mysteries. I don't let hinky. I want to see them catch the bad guys. Okay, so I, I like to see how they track it out, how they track the bad guys. I love that. And I love to watch cops. I've got a lot of respect for our law enforcement officers. Lots of respect. Try to pray for them often. Every time one passes me, I try to get into a habit saying, Lord God, bless that man, watch over him or that woman, whatever the case may be. And if you watch cops, have you ever watched the show Cops? A lot of the times these, these homes that they're invading and they're going into busting for you know, weapons or trying to find somebody who's escaped or who's wanted for a crime, uh, or the first 48 is a great example. You watch the first 48, and they're always busting in the doors on little poor, poverty-stricken apartments here and there, maybe in a housing project or whatever. Unfortunately, there's a lot of crime in such places like that where people are not disciplined as they ought to be, and they get discouraged, and they fall into ways of life that maybe they shouldn't be. I want you to do something. I want you to go and watch 48 hours and see how many times they bust in a door on one of these poor folks some of the poorest people in America, they bust their doors open and what's one of the first things you're going to see in their living area? A flat screen TV. Brothers and sisters, as long as we're buying bottled water, we have no reason to complain. As long as we're buying dog food, you know what our dog food used to be? It was called the slop bucket, okay? As long as we're buying dog food, we're doing pretty good in America today and we need to be thankful for it. Appreciate and amen the Lord who has provided for you. That's E and that's A. Let's look at C. Consider your adversary. C, consider your adversary. Psalm 56, verse 1. Be merciful unto me, O God, for man would swallow me up. <sighs> I remember there was a time in my life when I was living such a charmed existence that I would read things like this and I would say, man, they really had it bad back then. They're so, they're really being just poetic. Man would swallow me up. Wow, talking about, you know, uh, aggrandized speech. I mean, talk about hyperbole. Man would swallow me up. 
But I'm going to tell you, the more you live and the more experience you get under your belt, the more you realize this world is no friend to Jesus, therefore it is no friend to you, believer in Christ. Okay, it is no friend to you. You need to consider your adversary. In Psalm 56, be merciful unto me, O God, for man would swallow me up. He fighting daily oppresseth me. Mine enemies would daily swallow me up. For they be many that fight against me, O thou most high. That's not an exaggeration. Even though you're not seeing people bust down your doors or talk bad about you behind your back at work, even though you're not seeing it every day, you need to realize, brothers and sisters, that Satan is active in this universe and Satan comes at things very subtly. It's the boiling frog. You put the frog in the pot, you turn the heat up slowly, before that frog knows it, it's supper, okay? But you throw that... Frog in unawares just quickly into a bad situation. The frog will immediately react and try to jump out of the way. Satan is smart enough to know that these things come about slowly. And they come about subtly. And we need to consider our adversary. And how are we going to do that? Well, the psalmist said in verse 3, What time I am afraid, I will trust in thee. We talked about last night how you pour the angst and pour the depression and pour all of these uh, negative things in our lives that would separate us between our fellowship with the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, pouring them out, and the Lord will fill it up with faith. And that's what the psalmist is here saying. What time I'm afraid, I'll just trust in you. But somebody may say, I can't see God but yet you see the work of God all around you. I can't feel God tactilely, but do you feel him in your heart? I, I can't hear God. I, people say, well, you know what? I want, to, I want to hear God today. Well, he's given you an entire word that's infallible. So, no, no, I don't want to, I want to hear God out loud. Well, then read out loud. <laughs> read out loud and you'll hear the words of God out loud. It's here for us. God cares for you. He knoweth your, refrain, your, your frame. He remembereth that you're dust. Don't start doubting that God is concerned about you in your life each and every day. He knows that you have a devil and he's given you exactly what you need to resist him. He's given you the helmet of salvation. He's given you the breastplate of righteousness. Gird your loins about with the truth, my friends. Shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of Pete. Notice he didn't say shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel so you could kick a mud hole in people that don't agree with you. He said shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of what? Peace. And take the shield, my friends, which is the faith of God. And take the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. And above all of those things, have the prayer that you've given unto the Lord to bless all of your efforts. And remember who you are. Remember to whom you belong. And brothers and sisters, you need to consider this adversary and be aware. Sometimes devil uses our own little fickle and bitter attitudes. Y'all ever get your feelings hurt? Elder Ronald Lawrence, I, he said one time, he said, Brother Joe, and you know Brother Ronald, Brother Ronald, I mean, he'll, you know, he'll, he'll, he, when he gets to preach, I love to hear Brother Ronald preach, he's preaching, he's like, look at God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, all three in one. I love, I love to hear him preach because he's so animated. But Brother Ronald told me, he said, Brother Joe, I tell you, pastoring would be a really good gig if it wasn't for folks. <laughs> Think about that and it'll come to you. Pastoring would be a really good gig if it wasn't for folks. Folks get their feelings hurt. Folks, you know what, sometimes act folky. All right, y'all ever act folky? Do you ever get your feelings hurt? Do you ever get tired of not getting your own way in the church? 
Let me tell you something, brothers and sisters. You just need to realize something. Every day when we come together as the church, we don't come together into a perfect utopia. We come together every day in church, not only to seek the peace of Jesus Christ, but one of the greatest ways that you can feel the power of Christ rest upon you is when you are loving people in spite of their ugliness at times. Uh, humbling yourself and submitting yourself, my friends, unto an entity of people that the Spirit blesses, even though they individually can sometimes act a little ugly. All right? Somebody may say, well, I don't want to go to the church. Uh, there's hypocrites in the church. Well, you go and there'll be one more. Because we're all people and we're all sinners. And brothers and sisters, we need to understand that Satan would love nothing more than to get into Mount Olive Primitive Baptist Church and bust it all the way to hell. You understand that? And a lot of times he does it not by some false preacher who comes up in the pulpit. And sometimes he doesn't do it by people busting down the doors to burn down your, your, your church house. Sometimes Satan uses carpet color. You know what I'm talking about? I want the green. I want the red. I want the green. Sometimes Satan uses, you know, I'll use an example. Uh, I know of, of a lady who got upset one time, real upset at somebody whom I love very much. Got her nerves tore slap up because this sister cut her cake wrong. Ain't that right, Sister Laura? And this sister got her nerves tore up because while she was in the church house visiting, which is great, the sisters wanted to help her, so they cut her cake. Well, she didn't cut it right, and so she got offended. Now, Sister Laura, I mean, she could, she, again, I told y'all, she's from Louisiana. She will cut you. I'm telling you. Y'all doubt me now. She looks all sweet, doesn't she? She's to be feared a little bit. But, but you know what? That was one more opportunity that Sister Laura, I'm, I hope and pray she thought in her mind, because whether she thought it or not, she did it. She humbled herself in love and didn't overreact and said, this is one more time I get to emulate Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ who did no sin, but yet humbled himself while men spit upon him. Jesus Christ, who was the creator of the universe, had a crown of thorns that he himself had created, shoved down upon his brow and cut him even to his skull. And Jesus, my friends, opened not his mouth. Jesus Christ knew who he was. He knew to whom he belonged. He gave honor and glory to his Father. He being the full essence and being of the Father. And my friends, he deferred to the judgment of his father and humbled himself even unto the death, even the death of the cross. And I'm telling you, brothers and sisters, we're so coddled. I want you to understand something. Our forefathers before the last 200 or so years suffered for following Jesus Christ. Okay? They suffered at the hands of the Romans. They suffered at the hands of the barbarians. They suffered later on people who had spoused trying to do things the proper way scripturally, just according to their own dictates of their conscience, according to scripture, they were slaughtered by Catholics. And then later on, the Catholics and the Anabaptists were slaughtered by Anglicans. And so throughout history, there's always been one person against another, against another, oppressing the church of the Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And brothers and sisters, we go to bed sometimes and we don't even lock our doors because we live in such safety and security. We are living in unprecedented times. We are having the experience of Christians that Christians have never experienced. With a level of safety and prosperity and security and liberty that no one in 2,000 years of church history has ever experienced. So let me give you an exhortation. 
When somebody is ugly to you, when somebody does show a little bit of hypocrisy to you in the church, certainly out in the world, but let's just focus on the church because this can happen in the church. Somebody is a little brusque with you, a little abrupt with you, okay? Maybe there's a preacher who comes, he's too loud and he talks too long, okay? All right? Any number of scenarios can come up. You need to train yourself and realize and say, you know what, Lord, you've given me one more time to overcome a little bit of adversity. Because the time may come when they drag you out in this yard and light you a fire. Do you understand that? How are we going to tolerate that if we can't even live peaceably together overlooking one another's faults and failures? In love. I'll tell you, if these are the worst persecutions we have, if you could go back a thousand years to the Christians back then and they see what we consider persecutions today, they would laugh in your face. And pray for you because we're so coddled and ruined by the carnality of this world. Brothers and sisters, our adversary is active and we need to be active. You know, if there's one thing to be said, I know I've got to hurry along here. I don't want anybody comparing me to Satan. I mean, I don't. If you're going to compare me to somebody, I mean, I'd rather it be like, you know, Matthew McConaughey or, you know, anybody. Kevin, I get Kevin James, short, fat men. You know, a lot of times I get compared to, you know, if you're going to compare me to somebody, compare me to somebody. But I don't want to be compared to Satan. But you know, there is one aspect of Satan's personality that I wouldn't mind somebody charging me with. And you may say, Brother Joe, this sounds like heresy is about to come down. Listen to me now. No, Satan don't quit. Okay? Satan does not quit. He knows he can't win, but all he wants to do is keep on with his agenda and nothing is going to sidetrack him, brothers and sisters. And we should be, I'll tell you, if Satan, the very evil influence in this universe can be that dogged in his evil, how much more dogged should we be in the righteousness of Jesus who died for us? I'll tell you, hang in there like a rusty fish hook and don't let this world steal your cookie. You love Jesus by loving other people and you hang on to it and consider your adversary because he is very, very active. Let's look at H. We've looked at E-A-C. Okay? Embrace who you are. Uh, You know, amen. Every day. Give a claim to the Lord and amen. C, consider your adversary. Now let's look at H. We go to Proverbs chapter 8. Proverbs chapter 8 verse 33. Hear instruction and be wise and refuse it not. Blessed is the man that heareth me watching daily at my gates. Now here, this is wisdom personified being expressed here in Proverbs and not just any wisdom. Somebody thinks this is just wisdom. This is just smarts. Wisdom, when it's spoken of in the word of God in this way, in this positive light, is always referring to spiritual wisdom, the understanding and the ability to understand spiritual things of God, right? Over in James, it talks about an earthly wisdom. There are lots of people on earth with earthly wisdom. It's that earthly wisdom they use to stomp on their adversaries to climb the corporate ladder. It's that earthly wisdom which is earthly, sensual, and devilish by which they get ahead, by which they get their name in the paper, by which they are seen of men, by which they advance, and by they'll undercut the competition and win this contract, and whatever the case may be, just so they can get along and matriculate through the corporate ladder or the fame and success that they desire by earthly, sensual, devilish wisdom. 
Let me give you a little side note. People who tell you that you are born, not born again of the Spirit of God one moment, but yet you can make a decision to bridge the gap from that earthly, devilish, sensual wisdom in which we're born in, and you have the power within you to bridge the gap by making a decision, by inviting Jesus Christ into your heart, and then have spiritual wisdom? Well, I'm going to tell you what. If your heart's desire to confess Jesus as your Savior came from earthly, sensual, and devilish wisdom, I don't know why we even need this Holy Spirit. Do you? That doesn't do. That's bad theology. Why is it that you have spiritual wisdom today? Why is it that you crave a home in heaven? Why is it that you no longer feel at home in this world? Why is it that you see your sins and your need of a Savior? Why is it that you love righteousness and hate wickedness? My friends, it doesn't come from an earthly, sensual, devilish wisdom. That's the wisdom we're born in this world in. You've got to be born again to this wisdom under consideration. And the Lord has to give you that. He does it sovereignly, divinely. As the wind blows, Jesus said, we quoted last night from John chapter 3, Jesus told Nicodemus, the wind bloweth where it listeth, thou hearest the sound thereof, but knoweth not whence it cometh, neither whither it goeth, so is everyone that is born of the Spirit. So everyone who ever lived in heaven has to be born of the Spirit, and everyone who's been born of the Spirit didn't choose to be born of the Spirit. They were born of the Spirit by the sovereign unction and working of God. Okay? Makes sense, doesn't it? Makes sense. Now, meanwhile, back at the ranch. Proverbs chapter 8. Hear instruction, be wise, refuse it not. Blessed is the man that heareth me, watching daily at my gates, waiting at the posts of my doors. For whoso findeth me, findeth life, and shall obtain the favor of the Lord. Are we seeking the Lord's counsel in his word? Well, we should do it daily. Okay? Now, we're primitive Baptists, right? And y'all know, know the hypocrisy that we're all subject to, all right? Again, we're all subject to it. I grew up hearing my older folks talk about people who had Sunday school. Now, Sunday school was never such a thing until 1766, I think it was. Robert Rakes instituted it, and it was not sacred. It was more focused on just learning basic math, reading, and writing. For children who didn't have that privilege, didn't have access to the public school system and things. It wasn't a public school system, so to speak. And so he said, well, you come to church and after church, then we will we'll teach you in reading and writing because people were so vastly ignorant back then. That's how it started. And then as people started getting more and more educated, there were more and more access to education, then people said, well, we'll hang on to it and we'll make it strictly sacred education. And then they incorporated it so into their church that they felt like the church cannot exist without Sunday schools. And what has been the result of it? Parents no longer teach their children the Bible. Okay? It's good to study the Bible. It's good to learn other people's insights on the Bible. But again, if we have instituted something and calling it part of the church, something which Jesus himself did not institute, and it has served to supplant the sacred instruction of the parents at home to their children, not only reading from them, from the word, reading to them from the Word of God, but also living as an example before them, then, brothers and sisters, we've done something wrong along the line. And people wonder why primitive Baptists don't have Sunday schools. It's for that reason. It's not because we want to be hateful. It's not because we want to be contrary. Now, I know some primitive Baptists want to be contrary, but we ain't going there. 
It's not because of that. It's because we want to do it as close to the scriptural example as we can. Now, I grew up hearing that. And I grew up believing that. And I still do believe that. But I heard it presented in such a way. Remember what Proverbs said? A word fitly spoken is like apples of gold and pictures of silver. What does that mean? Our sacred wisdom and the things of God that we have are like an apple of gold. Who wouldn't want an apple of gold? I mean, apples are awesome in any way. If you're eating them or if you got a solid gold apple, yeah, I'll take one. Thank you. But he said, don't you take that apple of gold and leave it out of the frame. We're seeing a picture, my friends, of a beautiful picture of a golden apple. And that is the gospel of Jesus Christ. But don't ever, ever, ever forget the picture of silver that's supposed to go around it, the framework. How are we to deliver the gospel? Just to be argumentative? If we do, then we're wrong and we need to repent. We deliver the gospel with a framework of love and humility and desire to save people from the ignorance and the traps of this world, you see. An apple of gold, great, but don't leave it out of the picture frame of silver. Rejoice in that and use it properly, and that's the way we communicate the gospel of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. So why do we not have those things? We just don't have them because it's our job to teach our children. Again, I grew up hearing people just rail on people with, with uh, Sunday school systems and whatnot. All at the same time, those same people never read their Bibles to their children unless it was Christmas Eve. Does that sound familiar? Does that sound familiar? If we're going to talk the talk, we need to walk the walk, right? We need to embrace who we are. Which means, my friends, if we see the fault in turning our sacred education of our children over to other people, then we need to take seriously the fact the way God established it to be that it needs to be structured in the home. People criticize primitive Baptists. Why? Because you don't ordain women as elders. Let the world criticize us. We've got plenty of scripture to tell us that this place in the pulpit and the open church ministry, teaching ministry of the church is no place for the woman. Time and again, it's always been given to the man. Now that is one of the most unpopular statements a fat preacher like me could ever make. But you know what? I'm going to keep making it until Jesus comes back or I'm dead one. Why? Why would I say such things? Because my friends, let me tell you something. This pulpit is not the place for a woman. I would say there's even a more important pulpit for her and it's called the home. She is saved through childbearing. She's saved so that she doesn't have to dwell in silence. She is able to express the teaching of the sacred wisdom that's in her heart, her understanding of the Word of God, home, at home, day by day by day, unto her children. Do y'all wonder why people are going into schools and shooting them up nowadays? You know, when I was growing up, we had a shotgun in the back glass of every pickup truck. Isn't that right? Yeah. <clears throat> We had automatic weapons. Automatic weapons, okay? People think AK-47, that's an automatic weapon. It's not an, that is not a machine gun, okay? That's a semi-automatic weapon. And we had automatic weapons. We had shotguns uh, with the plugs out. Don't tell anybody. They took the plugs out so they could have five shotgun shells. And it was in the back glass of every redneck's pickup truck. And nobody was shooting and killing up schools like this. What's different? It's an unpopular answer. What's different is Satan has attacked the home and the home has decayed and now we're bearing the fruits of it. Oh, politicians will say, it's guns. 
the politicians will say it's this and the politicians will say it's that. No, God's word tells us exactly what it is. It is the decay and the degradation of the home, of the mother and the father who love one another and hang in there through good times and bad and who teach their children by word and example, carrying them in the nurture and admonition of the Lord unto the house of God to worship. Brothers and sisters, our children do not need another Disney trip. Okay? Are you hearing what I'm saying? I love to go to Disney, but our kids don't need another Disney trip in the church. Our kids don't need lock-ins. They don't need basketball goals. and They've got lots of entertainment. Our kids are entertained 24-7 every day. They don't go to the doctor's office without a tablet. They don't ride down the road without something being streamed all the time. Our children are always entertained. Why should they come to church and still have to be entertained? Why is it we can't teach our children for an hour and a half to just focus on Jesus? Somebody may say, my kids are wild. But yeah, are you teaching them to be quiet? Nobody expects kids to be sitting there and say, abide with me. No, nobody expects that of children. Kids are going to be kids. But kids need to learn how to worship. And is it too much for them to be torn away from an entertainment for an hour and a half, at least once a week, so that they can, be see, they can see their parents love Jesus enough just to focus on Him and His ways and His Word? That's what our children need to see. Our children don't need a Disney trip. Our children don't need a burger roast or Winnie roast. There's a place for all of those. I'm not tearing down all of that. What our children need to see is the Holy Ghost come down. Our children need to see communion and foot washing where the old bowed down with tears in their eyes or wash a, a six or seven or eight year old child's feet uh, who has come and confessed their Lord and Savior. They need to see the tears. They need to see the humility. They need to see people submitting themselves one to another even though there are different socioeconomic levels, different political creeds and beliefs. No, my friends, in the church we're lively stones and our kids need to see that. And don't tell me that won't do them more good than TV shows you know, or psychological training or any of that other stuff. Our children need to feel the kingdom of the Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Okay. Hear and learn. Number five. We've got to bring this to a close. I know it's, it's getting on. But don't worry, y'all. I've got longer to drive than any of y'all. So just <laughs> don't worry. None of y'all have to go to Mississippi unless you want to follow us. And we got places for you. we got beds and biscuits for you anytime in Mississippi. You come and see us. Go to Psalm 119. I'm sorry, uh, go to Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2, verse 46. And they continuing daily with one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house did eat their meat with gladness and singleness of heart, praising God, having favor with all the people, and the Lord added to the church daily such as should be saved. Brother Joe, are you telling us that we need to every day be in church? No, I'm not telling you that because really that's not practical, is it? It's really not practical. We've got to make a living. I don't know about y'all, but I'm a registered nurse. Been so for over 30 years. I've, I've got IVs to start. I've got eye drops to give. I've got paperwork to fill out. I've got things to do to make a living. If you're waiting on me to plant a rutabaga, you'll starve if you're waiting on that. I don't know how to do that stuff. But I guarantee you, I can put something in holes and I can pull things out, okay? That's what I can do as a nurse. I mean, I'm trained in that kind of stuff, you see. I can do that. You know, Brother Lincoln, he can do, watch it now. Brother Lincoln ain't scared of anything. Look, 
I, I, I don't want to be gross, but let me tell you something. I could do a colonoscopy with one hand and eat a ham sandwich with the other. I tell you, that stuff don't bother me. I was made to be a nurse, okay? My wife, too, bless her heart. Maybe she's not, maybe she doesn't go that far, but yeah, she can handle it now. She can handle it. I've got to go to work. I can't be in church every single day. I would love to institute a Bible study with my church, but you know what? I have to have a full-time job, and I'm already pastoring two churches every single Sunday. I don't have time to do that like I'd like to. I don't have time to get together with people and read the Bible, have a men's Bible study, and equip them to go home and teach their wives and children at home. I don't have time to do that. I'd love to do that, but I don't really have time to do that. So every day. What do you mean, Brother Joe? He said they went daily. Well, I want you to notice these people embraced who they were. Amen? They were going into other people's homes. They were willing to be with the people who had been bought by the blood of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, even though many of them, their lives outside of the church had no agreement. But in the common bounds of the church, they were redeemed by the same blood of Jesus Christ. All right? So what's the answer to that? You may not be in church every day, but you can see about your dear friends every day. That's the D. These people were dear church friends. Now, they, could, they were meeting here at this time every single day. Do you think they did that for the long term? I don't think so. It doesn't seem very pragmatic, does it? Again, we have jobs, families. But you know what, brothers and sisters? Every single day, your mind needs to be focused on your kindred in Christ in the church. Somebody's having surgery. You need to be thinking about when they're having surgery. Pray for them toward that surgery. Check on them after that surgery. Maybe fix them a casserole. My dear wife, bless her heart, she's like a Swiss Army knife with a casserole dish. You give her a can of soup and some pasta and ground meat and buckle up. She'll make a casserole, I'm telling you, to knock your socks off. And sometimes that's what people need. They just need somebody to show them they love them. Maybe they need their toilet cleaned. Well, I'm telling you, put on your sassy rubber gloves and go clean that toilet. You can do these things for your kindred in Christ each and every day. We show one another we're concerned for one another. You know what we ought to be to nursing homes? The nurses in the nursing homes ought to say, oh my goodness, here they come again. Here are more primitive Baptists. I'll tell you, we can't run these people out of here. They're just always in here visiting these folks. Okay? The hospital. Yeah, we see them in here visiting folks all the time. Can that be said of us in our lives? That we're that concerned and that engaged in other people's lives? We should be. Because brothers and sisters, how does the church grow? You know, down in our part of the country, over in Pickens County, just over the state line, is Bethlehem Church, Zion Church. And God is really blessed. Zion Church is pastored by my friend Chris McCool. His brother, my friend Tim McCool, pastors Bethlehem Church. And those churches have really just seen a great revival in that area. And those churches have grown. Bethlehem went from about 10 members. And now I think maybe they have over 100 members. Uh, you know, Zion, which is just the next little community over. Zion Church got down to one member. Zion Church was an absolute church. And they had one remaining member, Sister Laureen Dees. And she was the last remaining member of Zion Church. Elder Chris McCool remembers before he came to the Primitive Baptist, he'd be going driving past and he'd see that little church house and he'd tell his wife, bless her heart, they're going to be housing hay in there any time now. I'm so sorry for Aunt Laureen. I'm so sorry for Aunt Laureen. I'm so sorry for Aunt Laureen. He just said any time there's going to be bats in the belfry and there's going to be hay in that barn. And he remembers saying that. 
And his wife remembers him saying that. And they would go by and they'd just shake their head by that. You know what Sister Lorraine did? Don't you ever doubt the power of one faithful saint. You know what Sister Lorraine did? Sister Lorraine said, you know what? I've never believed absolute doctrine. I've never believed that every bad thing that ever happens, God unchangeably and immutably fixed. It had to be that way before the foundation of the world. And he's just as holy in the evil as he is in the right. I don't believe that. I don't want it anymore. And so she started inviting sound primitives to come in and to worship with her. So they started small. They would come in. And uh, because of her refutation of that, they would come in and they started having meetings. She was still the only member, but they started having meetings and then the one circuit riding pastor of the Absoluter Association came to her and said Sister Loreen you can't be having those conditionalists, that's what they call us by the way you can't be having those conditionalists come in here and preach in this church, you're a member of our uh, association she said okay, then as the last remaining member of this church I hereby convene conference and I withdraw from your association, he said whoa that's not what I meant. She said, no, I don't believe it. I ain't believed it. I don't believe it. I don't belong there. I withdraw from your association. And you know what happened after she did that? Her husband, who was a member of the Tuscaloosa Primitive Baptist Church, one of our sound churches, he came, moved his letter over there. They doubled their, doubled their congregation just like that. Now they had two. Somebody said, big deal, two people. Then somebody else joined. Then somebody else joined. And they were few in number. And then all of a sudden, Elder Chris McCool, who was preaching for the Independent Baptist, wasn't even a Primitive Baptist. Only thing he'd really known about Primitive Baptists were their absoluters. Now he's come to understand what the main body of Primitive Baptists believe, and it's exactly what he believes, and he comes under conviction, and he converts to the Primitive Baptist faith and has been ordained as an elder. And what happened? The same preacher who used to, want, used to think there's going to be hay in the building was now pastoring in that same building. And that church, my friends... 13 years ago had one remaining member and that church now has about 60 members. A thriving church. The old church house is now the fellowship hall. They built a brand new church house to worship in. It's a welcoming place full of the spirit and people say, what are they doing there? They've got to be doing programs. They've got to be doing something that's going to raise the eye. You know, Primitive Baptists, bless their hearts, sometimes they, rather than just their default being joy, they want to, hmm, what's going on over there? What's going on over there? I can talk about it because I'm primitive Baptist. I raised primitive Baptist. I know we give the stink out of people. Our default ought to be woohoo, but our default all the time is hmm, you know. And people ask, what are they doing over there? Why are they growing? They're growing exponentially. I'm nervous. I'm nervous. What are they doing over there? You know what? They're not doing anything over there that we're doing here, that we're not doing here today. They're doing the old things the right way. The old thing's the right way. And what's one of the main things they're doing? They're involved in each other's lives. They have get-togethers. They have socials. They make ice cream together. They fry fish together. They love their children to play together. They are concerned and in one another's lives. Brothers and sisters, the church has always been an interpersonal entity to emulate a tri-personal God. And if you ever lose sight of that and think that I'll just be just as happy at a mega church where there's thousands and thousands of people and I'm just not even a face in the crowd, I'm just a number on the tithing list, then brothers and sisters, you're missing out on the kingdom experience. Being a child of grace and the experience of the kingdom of God is being part of the solution, not part of the problem. And humbling yourself and actively working to be part of the solution. Brothers and sisters, be dear friends to one another. Be dear friends to one another. There are people in the church that personally we don't gee and ha. 
But I love them for Christ's sake, and they love me for Christ's sake. And you know what? We get along great, and we live peaceably in the church. Is that not the power of Jesus Christ? Politicians can't do that. Obviously, American citizens can't do that. But yet the kingdom of Christ has been doing it for 2,000 years. Don't tell me there's not power in the kingdom of Christ. There's power in the kingdom of Christ. Now, oh my goodness. Number six, assessment of your attitudes. Hebrews chapter 3, verse 12. Take heed, brethren, lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief in departing from the living God. <gasps> can God's children do that? Yes, they can. If it wasn't so, he wouldn't warn you about it, right? He's speaking to church. These same people over in Acts chapter 3, he called them holy brethren, partakers of the heavenly calling. He said their bishop, their high priest, their apostle was Jesus Christ. He's addressing them as children of grace with the understanding that this can happen to them. So what does he say? Take heed, brethren, lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief and departing from the living God. But exhort one another how often? Air day. That's the way we say it down the country. Uh, you know, uh, how often do you want to eat? I want to eat every day. Now I tell you, you ought to exhort one another every single day. Every singular day. You should be encouraging one another and you should be assessing your own attitudes. Okay? He said, take heed, but exhort one another daily while it's called today, lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. There's, there's sinners and there's trouble in the church at time to time. Yeah, that's true. Always has been for 2,000 years. But it is nothing compared to the mess outside these doors. All right? We need to assess our attitudes. And we need to stop thinking about things more highly than what the Scripture displays them as. The church of God is full of imperfect people, but she is a perfect entity. She is head, headed by a perfect God. And we need to remember that, and we need to assess our own attitudes. Are we allowing leaven in our lives? What are we watching? What are we reading? What are we saying? What movies are we going to watch? Okay? Y'all don't have to invite me back, but I'm going to tell y'all, I drink a beer every night. Every night before I go to bed, I love a cold beer, all right? I'm not trying to encourage anybody to drink, but I'm telling you, I have it at home. I don't at all tend to have it out because I don't want people emboldened to that with the wrong understanding. Are we considering those things? There was a time when I didn't consider them, but we need to consider those things and assess our own attitudes toward the church, and are we being part of the solution or part of the problem, all right? And let's end with the why, your purpose. Psalm 145, verse 1 and 2. I will extol thee, my God, O King, and I will bless thy name forever and ever. Every day will I bless thee. I will praise thy name forever and ever. I don't even need to expound on that, do I? Every day we should do these things to the honor and glory of the Lord. And I guarantee you, brothers and sisters, every day, even though they're fraught with challenges, fears, tremblings, every day will be a blessing in Jesus Christ. I thank you for your good over attention.